Come on, move faster. What are you doing? I'm gonna sabotage this ship. Sabotage? Give me a break. They haven't hurt us. How about we show them a little compassion? Compassion? What? What, what is compassion? Compassion? What? You're kidding, right? It's a feeling you have when you see someone else's pain and instead of taking advantage of their weakness, you help them. Oh, I know this feeling. Yeah, well, it is a fairly common human feeling. I hate it. You know what? I'm on the wrong team here. I'm just gonna stay... Fine, do what you want, but if you stay here with these lives, you'll die with them. Yeah, but how do I know I can trust you? You don't. That's just another thing you don't know. Damn. Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And we are talking about Farscape. Farscape Episode 1, which is simply titled Premiere. This is a little different from our other podcast because unlike Once Upon a Time and Charmed, I've never really seen Farscape. You showed me a few episodes a few years back, but this is a show I'm very, very unfamiliar with. I am very excited to show you this show. I know you're usually more of a comics and fantasy guy than a science fiction guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really a big sci-fi person. But this show, especially as it goes on, gets really off the wall in much the same way that Once Upon a Time does. Mm. And... I also feel like this show has another thing in common with Once Upon a Time, where Once Upon a Time kind of mashes up and recontextualizes fairy tale tropes, except in that case they're using licensed fairy tale tropes. But I think Farscape, in the same way, kind of mashes up and recontextualizes a lot of sci-fi tropes. So I was going to start by saying that you should let our listeners know your history with Farscape, but I guess you just did. Yes, I've seen... Three, maybe four episodes. I think I got to the one with the red guy who's also psychic. And there were. Listeners, he hasn't even gotten as far as Chiana yet. That's not the one with the guy who made people out of other guys. I I think I saw that episode too. No. No. Yeah. She's a character. Okay. So, as I said, episode one is just called Premiere, which is hella boring. I will say I think it's funny. I feel like they didn't call it Pilot because there is a character named Pilot and they thought they might need to use that as an episode title later. Uh, I think one of the things was before DVDs, although I wonder if it's going to go away now. Like before DVDs, I feel like shows sort of didn't bother giving their episodes creative names. I think that the exception to that prior to DVDs was really science fiction shows, especially... Babylon 5 had really intense titles, and I'm just like, I'm just going to read through some titles right now that we have coming up. IET, Exodus from Genesis, Throne for a Loss, Back and Back and Back to the Future, Thank God It's Friday Again. Wait, how are Back and Back and Back to the Future and Thank God It's Friday Again, how are they right next to each other? Are they both time travel episodes? Neither of them are time travel episodes. Are either of them time loop episodes? Isn't there one where, like, the crew keeps dying? I think I might have seen that one. And then stuff keeps resetting, or... Okay, so in Thank God It's Friday again, they're on this planet where all of the inhabitants of the planet are brainwashed to think it's always Friday. So every day is a work day, but it's almost... But tomorrow is a rest day. Ah. Yeah. Oh, that's a cool concept. (laughs) But what I meant is they, they, they... They gave some thought to the titles. It's just premiere. Mm. 
Although, to be fair, maybe they didn't want to put a lot of work into a title. They didn't know if it was going to get picked up. <laughs> right. Well, main character guy is played by Ben Browder, who wasn't he like fresh off Stargate or did Stargate follow Farscape? Stargate followed Farscape. Uh, ben Browder and Claudia Black both leave. I mean, they don't leave Farscape. When Farscape is canceled, they both shift over from Farscape to Stargate. I'm not surprised about that. I feel like once you're in this sort of sci-fi show, it's really easy to get jobs in other kinds of sci-fi shows because they know that you're gonna that that actor is going to be bringing in their audience it's exactly the reason i started watching stargate was to see ben browder and claudia black again and actually they were both airing on the sci-fi channel at the time and there was this great little promotional poster that i'll see if i can find that was a cartoon of john and aaron going through the wormhole and then their stargate characters coming out of the stargate on the other end god also, Claudia Black's character in Stargate is my favorite Stargate character ever. I adore her. Is she the one whose husband wasn't supposed to go to that one planet, but then he did? No. First of all, you're thinking of Babylon 5. Okay. I don't know the difference between all of these shows. I, kn- I can tell the difference between their DVD covers, because I know Farscape's the one that has the S&M alien on the cover, and then... Andromeda is the one with the pink lady on the cover. Is Farscape does Farscape also have that like cat lady on the cover? That's Chiana. That okay, that is Chiana. Okay. I mean, I assume when you say cat lady, you're talking about Chiana. And look, she's like really white, and she's got cat ears. And she she's really pale, maybe, or she's she's pale blue, maybe even kind of gray, and she she stands in like cat like stances. Hmm. Gigi Edgeley, the actress, didn't know that they were gonna have her in more than one episode, so she did this kind of weird cat movement that she didn't know she was gonna have to keep up for four years after that. Oof. Yeah, yeah, it's rough. So this episode was written by Rockney S. Bannon, who is the creator. Mm-hmm. And he also worked on shows like the reboot of V, Alien Nation, the Constantine TV show. Oh, for the hot 10 seconds that was on TV. Was he the one who said that uh, Constantine will be bisexual in the show if it runs for 30 years because it took 30 years for him to be bisexual in the comics? He's not the one who said that, but yeah, that's the that's the show. He also worked on uh, Jim Henson's Alien in the Family. No, uh, Amazing Stories. Now, he only worked on one episode, but I wanted to bring it up because obviously there's the Jim Henson connection. This show is actually executive produced by Brian Henson, and many, many of the aliens are Muppets, which kind of gives the show a cartoonish feel that can be a high barrier to entry, but also makes it cool because not all of the aliens are just people with prostheses on their noses. This episode was directed by Andrew Prowse, who I assume is an Australian mainstay because I didn't recognize anything on his IMDb. Was Neighbors on there? I think if you... No. Neighbors is Australian, right? Maybe? I know it's either Australian or New Zealand. It's this show that's been running for for half past forever. And it's like, if you're an Australian actor, you're probably in it. It's like Law and Order. Oh, okay. That makes sense. No, that wasn't on his that wasn't on his filmography. Or EastEnders if you're British. Right. I'm familiar with EastEnders. So, are you ready to get into the episode? Yeah. So, apparently this episode was also co-directed by Michael Bay cuz the first shot is a sunset. Well, it's funny that you say that cuz it's a sunset on the beach. So, I was actually thinking of it as a once upon a time tie-in 
since once upon a time loved to use that one set they had on the water, and now we have John Crichton sitting out on the water, staring off into a very picturesque sunset that's setting right next to the space shuttle. Yeah, it's military hardware and a sunset in the same shot. This is so Michael Bay. I guess it is, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, this is before... Transformers. Well, it's before Transformers. It's before Transformers. I was trying to think if this was before Armageddon. I'm actually now not sure if it was before Armageddon or not. I think it's before Armageddon. It was 1999. So yeah, that's before Armageddon. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, so what we learned today is that Michael Bay has stolen everything he's done from Farscape. Oh, God. Him and Joss Whedon, right? Yeah. Well, this is fair because I do have to say, when I was watching Guardians of the Galaxy, when that first came out, the thing that struck me was how little it resembled the Guardians of the Galaxy comic and how much it resembled Farscape. There are scenes directly from Farscape that happen in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, the first one. So Joe Everyman is staring at his spaceship and... John Crichton. And we cut to the fakest looking newspaper ever. Seriously, it's just like printer paper that has childhood best friends make space adventure happen. Yeah, John's friend DK reads to him from the current issue of Exposition Monthly. I just want to say how much I wish Friend Guy was the main character of this show. He is actually a great looking character. He has like this big puffy 90s hair, these amazing sideburns, and he has like so much energy, especially compared to John, who is playing this scene very low energy. Yeah, he's Joe Everyman. He has a man's haircut. He's wearing man clothes. He is Hugh Man. Yeah. He also has a patch on his uniform that says, I Asa. Yes, he he does indeed Asa. I bring this up because... It's the NASA logo, but with an I instead of an N, because NASA wouldn't let them use the NASA logo unless they had script approval for the entire script. So they were like, well, we'll just make it the International Aeronautic Space Association. How about that then? That was a thing I didn't learn until I was researching for this episode. I always just assumed that they were never going to go with NASA because it's an Australian production. But no, no, they actually asked NASA and then... Decided that wasn't going to happen. So friend guy asks Joe Everyman, are you sure you're ready? This is our, we've been working for years to do this space thing. And now you're going to go into space in the space thing to look straight into a wormhole. Are, are you sure you're ready for this? Okay. John is going to end up accidentally creating a wormhole, but the idea is not to create a wormhole. Uh. The idea is to slingshot off of the Earth's atmosphere and use that, the slingshot across the gravity and use that boost to travel at speeds previously unattainable by spacecraft thus allowing intergalactic travel it's like a balloon and then something bad happens well no see i'm glad you brought that up because this slingshot maneuver wasn't that how they time traveled in star trek is how they time travel in star trek that is exactly right Uh, i have seen star trek the one with the whales yes which is the one where they time travel. Also, I do like how in Star Trek, time travel's a thing basically everyone can do, but they just decided not to. Yeah, the time cops are like, no, don't do that. And because it's an inherently lawful society, everyone was like, all right, if you say so. So John and his buddy are interrupted by his father. 
Yes. Colonel Everyman. Yes, we learned that John's father was also an astronaut. And listen, they are leaning so hard into the, like, country boy thing. His dad's like, so you got rattlers in your stomach, boy? Actually, sir, I'm from Iowa. Which is, again, another yeah, Star Trek thing. There's that town where Captain Kirk was born where you can see, you know, Captain Kirk will be born here in... 3029 whenever yes but my point is they're tying the show really hard into the history of science fiction i'm glad we don't see his dad in the future i'm assuming right there are some contact moments with his dad oh god i i dislike his dad military dad guy is a trope that i've never particularly enjoyed oh okay so since you're not a sci-fi person i'm wondering if you know what i mean when i just said there are some contact moments with his dad i assume when he gets back to earth later in the show he's like hey dad and his dad's like "Ah, i died off screen no no uh as in the movie contact certain aliens will take the form of his father oh oh yeah i probably should have assumed that was gonna be yeah another thing that they're establishing in this scene with his father though that is important is that this theory this slingshotting off the earth's atmosphere theory is John's theory. Well, John and DK's theory. And they're letting him drive the shuttle that will test the theory, but John is at heart a scientist, not a pilot or a military guy. Yeah, military dad is like, are you sure you can handle this? You're not a military guy like I am. And John's like, I may be a lowly scientist, but my science powers will help me science my way into space. Well, and this is important because when John gets out into the scape which is far mm. we need to believe that he can hold his own a little bit john's dad also gives him a is this the dude version of you know i know how to fight because i have seven brothers yes yes it is it definitely is john's dad gives him his good luck charm which is one of those rings, those puzzle rings that you take apart and put back together again. Mm. Or if you're me, you take apart and then never put back together again. Which is, you know, Chekhov's puzzle ring. So we cut to what I'm guessing is probably some of the public domain footage of a rocket taking off. I'm sure this is stock footage of a shuttle launch, yes. Because, fun fact, all footage of shuttles taking off is free use for the American public. I did not know that. Yeah. That is a fun fact. Yeah, because NASA NASA is a national organization, so all of that is automatically... I don't think it's in the public domain, but it can be used. Well, we see John's ship, the Farscape 1, emerge from the shuttle so that he can start his experiment. And he's wearing a helmet, Hmm. a flight helmet, not a space helmet, right? Like, it doesn't enclose his whole head to preserve oxygen. It just has, like, the helmet and the visor part over the eye. Again, not what you would expect an astronaut to wear, but calling back to the way the flight helmets looked in Star Wars. Oh yeah, it's real Star Wars. You can see his manly man jaw and everything. I mean, if you wanted to know prize why his helmet looks like that, you could say that the ship was only designed for very high atmosphere and not actually space, but that doesn't explain how he survives in space later. (laughs) So he's going all around the world. He's on top of creation. And then suddenly he flies into a space butthole 
Yes, a wormhole opens up and his ship gets shot through a wormhole. And then, if you are a Farscape fan, there is a very weird moment where the opening credits play, but the opening monologue isn't there, which makes sense because he is not yet being chased by an insane military commander. He is not yet on a ship, a living ship. So... Of course, there's no, there's nothing to catch people up on, but it is real trippy to watch this part and just be, like, reciting the monologue on your own while your husband looks over at you like, what are you doing? God, they did not do a good job not making it look like a space butthole. This is 1999. They are doing, and this is Australia. They are doing the best they can. I, honest to God, would not be surprised if they took... Uh, footage from someone's prostate exam and then just tinted it blue. You are so mean about the wormhole. It's okay, we're not going to see wormholes again for quite a while. In fact, the wormholes are basically going to be the MacGuffin of this show for a while because John needs to find one to return home and he doesn't know how he created this one. He's yelling out for Friend Guy, but Friend Guy cannot hear him because he is lost in space. He is lost in space, yes. Why wasn't that the title of this show? So, John is on the other side of the wormhole now, and he has landed right in the middle of a space battle. Isn't that the way it always goes? Yes, you always land right in the middle of a space battle. So, I think we should take a brief moment to talk about the title of this show. Because he's in the Farscape now, that's the name of his little ship guy. Farscape 1. Farscape 1. But... That isn't a thing for the rest of the show. Like, the ship that he's in for the rest of the show is called Moya or Moya. The Moya. Just, just Moya. Just Moya. Like, so why the hell is the show called Farscape if it's something that's, like, briefly relevant in the pilot and then never again? Okay, well, first of all, the ship is relevant again. I mean, he continues to have the ship and try to get the ship to make more wormholes. Um... There's also a long-standing tradition in sci-fi fiction of having shows named after the ship, you know, or the place, right? You've got Andromeda, Babylon 5. Star Trek Enterprise. Firefly, which doesn't come till later, but Firefly. Deep Space Nine, which again, like Babylon 5, is a space station. And I do need to let you know that there was a working title that was not Farscape. Was it more accurate than Farscape? It was! The original title for this show was Space Chase. <laughs> My god. Which is a far more accurate title. Yeah, it, it's... And I'm glad they went with Farscape. It sounds like a 90s board game, like Don't Wake Daddy. Ah, it does, kind of. Also, it's even more ridiculous than... I, I just, I can't imagine watch, sitting down and watch a show called Space Chase, ever, at any point in my life. So, as I said, John comes through the wormhole in the middle of a space battle, and I have to say, he sits there for a really long time. And after that really long time elapses, one of the fighter ships accidentally clips his wing, flies out of control, and crashes into a meteor. That guy had lots of time to not hit him, is what I want to say here. That's an important point. 
does oh i was gonna say does that guy become relevant later but yes he yeah. becomes very <laughs> relevant later yes yeah I, i'm gonna say that's kind of on him it's 100 percent on him we actually kind of we'll get into we'll get into that more and, and our listeners who know farscape know exactly what's going on right now so john looks up and he sees moya the ship which maybe should be the title of this show mm. It is a giant leviathan. A leviathan is the class of ship it is, and also what it's supposed to evoke. It's supposed to look like a giant whale in space. So they basically hardcore ripped this off from the Brood Saga. Um, or the Bible. Well, I mean, the Brood Saga had space whales that were enslaved by an alien race that uses them as ships by altering, by, you know, going into their brains and altering them so they can be used as spaceships did they call them leviathans i don't remember what they called them all i know is that storm psychically merged with one and they liberated them and that's how they got away from the brood oh that's interesting well leviathans are not enslaved normally this one is but not that's not what makes it a spaceship. It's just been captured and enslaved by the peacekeepers the leviathans are actually naturally space dwelling so well i mean so are the creatures from the x-men they're naturally space dwelling it's just the brood were like hey they get around space really easily let's hijack their brains and hollow them out and use them as spaceships yeah for the leviathans it's, it's not like that it's an organic ship it's a living ship so john gets pulled aboard this leviathan this is a good day for him going inside of stuff yeah he goes inside the wormhole he goes inside the leviathan a third thing. So, one of the things I like about this show, and I and I've I mentioned before that I think it subverts a lot of sci-fi tropes. And one of the things I think really subverts the sci-fi trope is that this show is not human-centric. John is obviously our point of view character and our way into the show, and that is because we are humans. But the universe he exists in is not built around humans. Mm. The universe that he exists in doesn't even know what humans are. And we don't get that in a lot of other sci-fi shows. In Star Trek, for instance, the Federation, the core of the show that we see, the Federation was built off of NASA. In Firefly, there are only humans. There are no aliens in Firefly. I do enjoy a sci-fi. I do enjoy the fact that this is a sci-fi show that isn't all up its butt about how humanity is special and humans are blah blah blah. Because that that's a thing in like every single sci-fi show about how fucking special humanity is, and it's nice that they're not here. In fact, the thing that separates out humans from all of the other races in this show is that they're worse at everything. <laughs> John is just worse at everything that everyone else does. So his ship gets surrounded by these little droids that run the ship and that are actually created by the ship. Moya creates these little droids and then they run around and do maintenance on the ship. They're like antibodies. Yeah. They're called DRDs and they're these little yellow robots that are adorable. They're like tiny little Roombas. We have a stuffed animal, one of them. Yes, we do. They have these two little eye stalks. With lights on them, which I bring up because when John lands his plane inside of the hangar of Moya, one of the little DRDs trying to get him out has its eye stalk broken. So now that one's only got one eye. Aww. Yeah. 
The DRDs are adorable, by the way. They are so cute. Even when they pull out a tiny little gun and start shooting at John, they're adorable. So they're shooting their tiny little laser guns at John to force him through the ship onto the bridge where we get our first glimpse at the crew of Moya as it is. As of right now, we have Alien Warrior Guy and we have Blue Lady. Yes, Alien Warrior Guy and Blue Lady, or Dargo and Zan. So, Blue Vulcan and regular-ass Klingon. Okay, that's very simplistic. Is it? Is it wrong? It... It will become wrong as we get further into the show. But yes, you've got your big... I'm sorry, hippie Vulcan. Yes, which is fun. Virginia Hay, who plays Zan, the blue priestess lady, who's also a plant. Hmm. Yes. Fun fact. When the script was written, they just wrote in priest. They didn't really know what they were going to do as far as what the beliefs were of her race, the Delvians. And Virginia Hay is a hippie chick. So she was like, oh, I got this. And she brought in a bunch of her own crystals. And she was like, and then I'll just like meditate as Zan. And I'll just do this like hippie movement with my hands. And they were like, perfect. Do that. Done. Don't have to write anything. Love it. Right off the bat, my favorite character. She's also dressed in like space yoga pants and a space. Okay, she's wearing a giant flowy dress. If that's what you would, like, call space yoga pants. Her whole outfit is very... I'm a very fancy lady who doesn't have a day job just casually wandering around my giant opulent house. That's her aesthetic. It is retired hippie, yes. She's Frankie from Grace and Frankie. Yes, yes, that, that's, a good, that's a good description of her. Dargo lifts up John and starts yelling at him, and while he's yelling at him... One of the DRD robots comes and injects John with something, and now all of a sudden, John can understand what they're saying. Or at least he can understand the words that they are saying. Dargo asks them if his ship has any military value because they are in the middle of a fight, and they only brought him on board because they were hoping that they could use this unfamiliar technology to win. But no, it's, it's a science ship. There's nothing, there's nothing John can help them with. Yeah, he's from the backwoods part of the universe. Yeah, right? Like, he's basically got the space equivalent of a slingshot. Oh, sad but true. Yeah. At this point, we also see the pilot. The pilot is attached to the ship itself. So on the bridge, we only see the pilot in this little clam hologram. Mm -hmm. And later on, we'll get to go down into the ship where pilot lives and see him down there, but not in this episode. And we learn from the pilot and Dargo's conversation that the ship, Moya, has a control collar on. And she can't run away because of this control collar. And they are trying to get it off. While they're having this discussion, we see Rigel. Yes, we see Armin Shimmerman's character, except also royalty. From what? From the Star Trek where he's one of those dudes who has giant ears. Oh, like Quark, but a fish king. Okay, yeah, that is, that's a good depth, that's a good description of, of Rigel. Like Quark, but he's a fish king. Mm. Yeah. Also, he's tiny, and he's a Muppet, and he has a floating throne so that they can, like, float him up to be at eye level with the other characters. He's a good design. He's very, what you would expect a pompous royal fish guy to look like. A lot of eyebrow. He has a lot of eyebrow, and he has a lot of mustache. 
Which you would not expect from a fish guy. That's true. It is more facial hair than you would think fishes have. Yeah, but there you are. He tries to strike an alliance with John. He tells John, you know, I'll protect you right now and then you protect me later. And John's like, what? And he's like, oh, fuck, I can't use you. (laughs) Dargo, meanwhile, is randomly pulling cords out of the hull of Moya, hoping that something will cause the collar to come loose. And then it does, which is just, there will be no living with him after this. So, while all of this is going, Xan has been praying in her alien language, which you think we'd understand. Well, well, you can assume that there's no human equivalent to that. Also, the translator microbes don't translate cursing, so hmm. I guess they also don't translate certain blessings. Oh, I was, I was thinking maybe her religion works off swear words. That would be amazing. Oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Or, based on what we're going to learn about Zan later, maybe that's just what she was saying. We learn later that Zan is maybe not as devout as you might be led to believe from her first few appearances. So, now that the collar is off Moya, Moya is going to initiate basically the only defensive maneuver she has, which is Starburst. Which is... Sorry, it's a candy. Yes, it is a candy. Yes. It's like hyperdrive. Basically, when you have a sci-fi show where you want to have a group that's dealing with a gigantic military, so if you're talking about this ship or if you're talking about Serenity or if you're talking about the Millennium Falcon, what you want to do is give them no offensive or defensive capability, but give them the ability to run away really fast, but only every so often so that the drama can, you know, stick around. It reminds me of that post that was going around Tumblr for a while about the Millennium Falcon versus the Enterprise, and it had the Millennium Falcon as a, you know, big jock pushing the nerd in uh, the nerdy Enterprise into a locker, and then a whole bunch of actual nerds jumped on, and they were like, uh, the Enterprise is this giant-ass military ship that can shoot lasers and shit. The Millennium Falcon is basically your weed guy's van. Yeah, that's, that's basically accurate. Um, as long as we're talking about that, Here's another place where Farscape undercuts other science fiction that I really like, which is what John learns on this bridge is that these people who are in this space battle are escaped prisoners. This is a prison transport ship, and these people are prisoners trying to get away from the police force, which is creepily called the Peacekeepers. Yeah, never a good sign. And... So much science fiction is at some level pro-military or pro-cop, you know? Mm -hmm. As much as I love Star Trek, there are a bunch of space police flying around policing stuff. Green Lanterns, the Nova Corps. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even Star Wars, which is a rebellion, deals mostly with the military aspects of the rebellion. She is General Leia. Yeah. You've got Firefly, which is about criminals in space. But Firefly didn't come until well after Farscape. And then, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, which was... Yes. Also kind of ripping... Which was kind of ripping off Firefly, which was ripping off this show. Yes. I... I'm I'm very excited for, as we get further and further into this show, you to be like, wait a second! Guardians of the Galaxy completely stole this entire sequence! Is this like when you showed me all of those episodes of Star Trek and suddenly wide swaths of Futurama started making sense to me. It is exactly like that. 
because Futurama is a really funny show on its own, but it's also apparently like 70% Star uh, Star Trek references. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's accurate. Yeah. So we cut to the interior of the cop ships, the Peacekeeper vessel, mm-hmm. and we meet for the first time Commander Crace. Crace is the leader of this particular battalion. He is super angry that the Leviathan and all of the prisoners have escaped because that is super embarrassing. And his lieutenant is telling him, so one of the ships got caught up in the wake of the Leviathan and another ship crashed and the person on it died. And Crace is like, I don't care about someone dying. I want to see my brother. Wah, wah. Yep, yep. Turns out that uh, that guy who, I mean, God, the rest of this show, Chris is going to act like John killed him. But the guy who ran into John's ship when he had plenty of time to avoid it and then died was Chris's brother. So get ready for a real Moby Dick thing now where Chris will disobey the orders of his command to chase after this Leviathan so that he can hunt down the man who killed his brother. I was going to say it's more of a Wizard of Oz situation with Space General Guy being the Wicked Witch of the West and Exploded Brother Dude being the Wicked Witch of the East, except it's like if Dorothy's house crashed into Oz and then the Wicked Witch of the East ran into it and exploded. Yeah, like, John is even less at fault than Dorothy was, and we all know Dorothy was an innocent. (laughs) Yeah. So the other Prowler, the Prowler is what the little fighter ships are called, the other Prowler that got caught in the Leviathan's wake gets brought on board, and we can deal with that. So... Not Wharf Guy spits on John's neck and knocks him out because he has knockout spit, apparently. Okay, so it's not spit. It, it happens too fast, I guess, for, for you to really get a good look at it. But what he has is a giant frog tongue that has knockout stuff on it. He flicks his tongue out at Oof. John and knocks him out with his giant frog tongue. Gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what happens. He's going to be doing this all the time, right? This is a super useful skill. Actually, he does do it pretty often. He does it more often than the other thing that we're going to see, which is not useful. Uh, this is uh, this isn't a teleportation once upon a time thing. No, he actually uses it pretty often. Although he will later start using just his sword because you know his sword. So this is where we find out that Zan and not Worf Dargo Dargo don't really know each other at all. They were just on the same prison thing, so they're finally exchanging introductions. And uh, he's like, so you're one of those weird space psychic sex hippies, right? And she's like, sure am, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Xana's way into, like, leaning into her sexuality. She's all like, you've heard of our practices. Really? A female alien in a sci-fi show is super into doinking? I mean, this is... Groundbreaking. Yes. So... This is actually really gross because she asks him his age and he says he's like 30 and she's like, oh, you're just a child because in Luxon years, Luxon is what he is. That's basically like 19. God. Yeah. So Zan needs to back off. She's a space cougar. She is a space cougar who is also a plant. They also share a little bit of their backstories with each other and completely lie. Yeah. She says to him, 
You know, even amongst my own people, I was a bit of an anarchist, and that's why I got thrown in here. Yeah, lie. And Dargo's like, I killed my commanding officer, which is like, mm, half-truth, half-truth. But these are all things that, of course, you will learn more about later. So it's not like a Regina saying that she cast the Dark Curse because she was jealous that Snow was prettier than her in the pilot? Um, Zan's thing is, like, Zan's whole, like, oh, I was an anarchist amongst my people thing, that's a, that's not why she's there. I mean, but it would make sense for her to lie, right? Of course. Of course. Yeah, this isn't a retcon as much as it's just two people who don't know each other lying to each other about their criminal past. Hmm. So she's got vague psychic powers and he's really, really strong. Yeah, basically. Yeah. They're talking about how they're going to have to work together because the peacekeepers are after them and blah, 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 blah. And Dargo's all pessimistic. He's like, yeah, we're, we're not... We're, we're, we're not, this escape is not going to last long. They are going to recapture us in like five minutes. I'm the dour warrior guy. Well, I'm the optimistic spiritual one. Let's have an adventure. Yeah. They are gathering their party. Because let me tell you, what this show is besides Moby Dick and Wizard of Oz is a D&D group. Okay? <laughs> so we just got the priest and the warrior together. John, of course, is our bard. Oh, God. Oh, yes. And like a bard, he is very useless at the beginning and becomes increasingly more useful until you're like, damn, everyone should be a bard. Rigel is our rogue. And, uh, well, it's funny because Dargo is the warrior, but really Aaron is the warrior and Dargo is the barbarian. Yeah, I was thinking she's like the monk or whatever. It actually makes more sense for Dargo to be the specialized fighter class. Yeah. Aaron's just like a straight on fighter. So speaking of. So John wakes up in a cell. He's naked. I mean, we don't see the full Crichton, but I mean, presumably he's naked because he wakes up and he's like, where are my clothes? And is very embarrassed. And Rigel is there on the other side of the bars telling him that they had to search him. And John races over and puts his clothes back on. It's, he's naked, but it's very, you don't see anything. No, no. You get, like, a lot of part, you get a lot of the upper part of his back. It's very whenever David was naked on Once Upon a Time. You see a bit of his arms? He has very nicely toned arms. Yeah. But, like, a shirtless scene, I would say this barely qualifies as a shirtless scene. Yeah, I mean, if this was a Marvel movie, they'd be like, no, 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 John, come on out further. <laughs> Well, John is putting his clothes back on, Rigel is telling John how he ended up on a prison ship because Rigel is a king, or in the language of his people, a dominar, hmm. with billions and billions of subjects. But he was overthrown by his cousin in a coup, and that's how he ended up on the peacekeeper ship. So they have examined John. I respect them not doing a probing joke, considering this was made in the 90s, and the 90s was all about probing jokes. Yeah. Although they did probe him, and they found out that he's not a peacekeeper. He is a weird dirt monkey. Yeah, I didn't mention before, the peacekeepers look like humans. So everywhere John goes for the rest of the series, he will be mistaken for a peacekeeper, which are basically the evil space space nazis I, I wasn't sure if i wanted to say nazi space i mean it is what they are space fascists space fascists so he puts on his clothes and he's like so why do you still have me locked up if you know that i'm not one of those space fascists and rangel says well we don't know how we can trust you we can't trust you any more than we can trust 
that. And then he points to the other person in the cell, which... The previously unseen person in the cell. Yes, which is someone in a full face face and body concealing spacesuit. I wonder if it will be a pretty lady. We all know the rule of helmets. Okay, I do have to say, when I watched this for the first time... I said, as soon as I saw this person, and you said it as well when we were watching it the first time, oh, I wonder if the person's going to take off their helmet and it's going to be a beautiful woman. And here's the thing. It is. It is Claudia Black, who is legitimately the most beautiful woman I have ever seen in reality. Hmm. Like, she's gorgeous. But she's not glammed up. Like, she's got helmet hair, and she looks like she just went through a space battle. And I respect that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it is sort of easier to do that when you have an actress who's as naturally beautiful as this one is. Because she isn't super glammed up. She is just a military person who happens to be incredibly hot. But she does take off the helmet and is revealed to, in fact, be a pretty lady who beats the shit out of john and then straddles his face she uses her crotch to pin him to the ground to pin his face to the ground i i wish that moment weren't in here it is inappropriate it's like this is one of the few times where they really overly sexualized aaron in a way that i felt was like cheesecakey they usually do not do that with her but I mean, there she is wearing is. A, ver- a fairly bulky spacesuit when she's pinning him to the ground with her crotch. Yeah, but you know, still it is what it is. She insists that John announce his his rank and serial number and name, and and she announces that she is Aaron soon, and she gives him her name and rank. And he's like, "Well, I'm not from any military, you know. Uh, I'm just a scientist." And she's like, "That's not useful to me." I have to say, even even here in the pilot episode, when Aaron is on the wrong side, when she is still a space fascist, I still absolutely love her because she just gives no fucks about anything. And she is not intimidated by anything. Like, she has been captured. She is in a jail cell being held by the people who were tortured and imprisoned by her people for decades. And she's like, whatever. I'll get out of this too. So Royal Fish Dude starts pawing through a box that has all of their possessions, including Space Wharf's weapon. Oh my god. Okay. His sword. I I hate his sword. It is like this clunky plastic prop you know what it always looked like to me what it looks like a toy he-man sword that you would buy for your five-year-old child it does not look like it could hurt anyone it does not in fact i'm gonna go ahead and spoil you here Mm -hmm. and tell you it turns out that the sword pops open and turns into a gun and thank god because i do not believe you can harm anything with that giant plastic sword sword gun yeah it's a sword gun Meanwhile, Blue Lady is interrogating John, and she's like, so where are you from? And he's like, I'm from a planet called Earth. And she's like, why didn't the translator thing translate that to dirt? Because that's what that means. And he's like, I don't know, maybe it doesn't work on proper nouns. It does not work on proper nouns. The translator microbes, like many science translator things, knows not just the words you said, but what you meant. 
Mm. So it understands things like proper nouns and stuff. So we cut from that to space military guy talking to lady commander assistant. Lieutenant. Lieutenant assistant lady. And he's like, whoever gets my brother is going to pay, yar. And she's like, have you ever thought that maybe your brother was just stupid? And he's like, shut up and show me who killed my brother. And she does. Yes. She's like, hey, maybe your brother was just a terrible pilot and everyone was afraid to tell you that because you're like the head of this battalion. Okay. So there's a really, really bad movie that WWE put out. It's called, I think, Wrong Side of Town. It has Dave Bautista in it. Okay. Before he became super famous with Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, oh, that guy, that guy. Okay, uh uh-huh. Yeah, Drax. Yeah, yeah. So in that movie, he goes out clubbing with his wife like he's a middle-aged dad guy. And he goes out clubbing with his wife. And the uh, the owner of the club, club's brother, uh, tries to hit on his wife and then accidentally stabs himself trying to intimidate Dave Bautista. The whole rest of the movie is the guy's brother's men trying to hunt him down. Even though the brother accidentally killed himself with a knife trying to intimidate Dave Bautista. Well, I mean, to take a less stupid sounding example of that, is that not what happens in Spider-Man 2? The first, second Spider-Man? Wait, with Dr. Octopus? Wait. No, no, where, uh, where, where James Franco thinks that Spider-Man killed his dad? No, that, that was the third. The fir- that was the first third Spider-Man? Yes. Or the only third Spider-Man. No, no. Oh, wait, you're right. Far From Home is all, is actually the third second Spider-Man. Okay, okay. Yeah, the other Spider-Men haven't made it past two. There are too many Spider-Men. Tina Fey was right. <laughs> too many Spider-Men. And there's only one good one. Miles Morales. Actually, there's two good ones. Miles Morales and Peter Parker in that movie. Peter B. Parker? Peter B. Parker. Hmm. So really what you're saying is the only Spider-Man movie that we needed was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, because I will support that position 100%. I actually really liked the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie. I didn't see the second one, but I liked the first one. I feel people were way too hard on it, and I also think people have way too much nostalgic attachment to the original three Spider-Man movies, but... Okay, so I noped out of the Andrew Garfield ones because it was way too early to do a reboot. I didn't want to watch that again. It was. That's true. And it's not just a nostalgic attachment. I genuinely think that it's hard to understand in in this modern era when a superhero fan has so many choices before them. I think it's hard to understand the barren wasteland of superhero movies Prior to the first X-Men movie, followed quickly by the first Spider-Man movie. You're talking to one of three people who saw Elektra in theaters. I, well, I'm not, I, it's true. I know that you know, but it's not just nostalgia for that particular Spider-Man movie. It's appreciation for what that Spider-Man movie brought, which was an understanding that people would pay to watch superhero movies. And for Nickelback music. Is there Nickelback music in that movie? Oh, yeah. I think people forget how much Nickelback was involved in the first Spider-Man movie. Okay, that's kind of wild. Anyway, on the Peacekeeper ship, Crease's lieutenant shows him the picture of John, and they both exclaim in shock, it's a sebation. (gasps) Which I bring up so that you know that Peacekeeper is the, the military unit, but that the race also has a name, which is sebation. That's 
really gross sounding. It's fine. Sebaceous fluid. I had to go to the doctor to get a cyst drained of its sebaceous fluid. Back on Moya, everyone is sitting down to eat their dinner of food cubes, as you do. Is she wearing a dress? You know what? You're right. She's wearing yoga pants underneath the dress. You're right. You're right. She has flowy pants underneath the flowy dress. Which, goddamn, I appreciate how she is dressed. This is how I would dress if I was in space. You just want to be comfortable. You just want to be space comfortable. (laughs) Oh. But yes, Zan is being nice to John. She's a nice person who definitely... She's a nice person who definitely wouldn't use her brain powers to kill anyone. I can't wait to get deeper into Zan with you. So, Pilot's freaking out at Warrior Guy. Yeah, when he pulled out all of those cords before, thereby releasing the control collar, he also caused her to lose a bunch of fluid that she needs to, you know, move. So... Calm down, Smithers. This isn't rocket science. It's brain surgery. <laughs> Right. So anyway, they now need to go to a planet so that they can land and, you know, get more fluid for her so that they can fly. Let me sum up basically every episode of every science fiction show ever. Oh no, Thing X is wrong with the ship. How will we resolve Thing X? I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's not far from the truth. I'm not saying sci-fi is bad. I'm just saying that this premise gets used a lot in the very small amount of sci-fi I've been exposed to. Well, I mean, there are some great sci-fi shows with that premise i'm thinking specifically of an early episode of battlestar galactica called 33 minutes mm-hmm. where the cylons are finding their location every 33 minutes and they have to figure out what it is on the ship that's sending off a signal that's letting them find them mm-hmm. and it's it's an incredible tense episode that's just jumping from place to place every 33 minutes x is wrong with the ship we need to fix x yeah i mean I love Galaxy Quest. I think it's a legitimately great movie, and I can't wait until Tim Allen dies so I can watch it again. But, like, it's also a lot of the plot of Galaxy Quest is X is wrong with the ship, we need to repair X. Well, I mean, that's because it's a great... Pastiche. Yeah, exactly. That was the... That, I didn't even know that was the word I wanted, and that was definitely the word I wanted. So, everyone is eating their food cubes, and Aaron, cool as a cucumber, slips a fork into her sleeve for, you know... Stabbing purposes. For stabbing purposes, because she is always on the mission, even when she's on the wrong side, which she definitely 100% is right now. So, they talk about how they're going to go to a trade planet, and how Freaky Fish Guy is their main trade dude, so he's going to go down and, you know bargain for the things they need to de-hemorrhage the ship's brain yep and warrior guy's like fuck you you i've known you for 10 seconds and already i want to murder you how are you going to negotiate shit and he's like i've been negotiating shit since i got here yeah it turns out that rigel's the one who negotiated with the guards and paid them off and got the codes to open up their cells so that they were able to do their breakout in the first place He's like that first guy in the first uh, season of Survivor who kind of defined the show. Richard Dretch. Was he the naked guy all the time? Yep. Was he the one who was like, I'm going to start making alliances and that's really what made the show what it was? Yep. Yeah. Also, he was kind of a jackass, but still he managed to like get people to go along with him. It's so fun in shows when people are trying to do that and it's like not Survivor. Like uh, on that one where it was Caveman versus Astronauts. And there was the one guy who was trying to play everyone against each other. And they were like, what are you? No. 
That's, that's not how this works. Suzanne asks Aaron if there is any peacekeeper presence on the planet that they're going to land on, because she needs that information. And Aaron just looks straight into her soul and pops another food cube into her mouth without saying a word. I like that she turns to John and John's like, how the fuck would I know? You know I'm not a peacekeeper. And she's like, eh, never hurts to delve into someone's subconscious with my mind powers and then we get a really misplaced comedy scene yeah okay so this 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 doesn't this doesn't come up a lot more but rigel is very nervous about everything that's going down and all of a sudden everybody else's voice gets higher and higher and we discover that when rigel is nervous he farts helium really like this is the pilot episode of your show i get that you want to be like hey it's not going to be dark all the time but well you you want to establish the uh you want to establish like the things that are weird about your alien people even if you never use them again especially if you never use them again it kind of reminds me of the first episode of american dad where they established a lot of gross stuff with roger that never came back up the whole first season of roger stuff is just non-canon for him yeah it's true so they've entered the planet's orbit. They're getting ready to go down and make some trades. And Dargo notices the fork that Aaron has hidden. And they kind of jump on her and they pull the fork out of her sleeve. And she just stares at them and pops another food cube in her mouth. I do really love the expression uh, Blue Lady has where she just, she holds up the fork and she cocks her head to one side. She's, she's like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed at Aaron. <laughs> I love all of the facial expressions that Claudia Black makes as Aaron. I, so many of, so much of it is unscripted and so much of it makes this character work so well. Her like almost playful defiance, which is not what a peacekeeper is like, but that's already a part of her character here. You know what kind of occurs to me as we're watching this? What? She's like a weird alternate reality version of Regina. In that Regina is always very, you know, Lana Priya as Regina is always very well put together. And, you know, she's a beautiful woman, but a lot of that is her composure and, you know, the way she carries herself and how expressive she is. And Erin is like a different take on that, where she's got this kind of rough military, uh, militaristic vibe to her. But she also has like this wry attractiveness. Like she's also an incredibly beautiful woman. And it comes through in the way that she's rough. Yeah. Also, I thought you were going to say that, like Regina, she is an evil character who gets redeemed through the course of this show. Apparently also that. I've only seen a few episodes. I can't speak to that. Although she does start working with them pretty uh, fast. Yeah. I, I I love Aaron's arc, though. It's we'll, we'll, we'll obviously be talking about that over the next couple of years. So we go down to the planet's surface where Fish Guy is arguing with a great creature. I love how much this show subverts the whole aliens are just people with forehead wrinkles. Yeah. It's this creature with like, he's he's bargaining with this creature with like a tri-mouth. Yeah, his mouth opens in three parts. Like he has three lips. Like his jaw opens in three places. And it's just, he's all teeth. He is so much teeth. Translator doesn't seem to be working so much for this guy. Yeah, but Rigel can understand what he's saying. And actually, later on, we will meet a couple of races that the translator microbes don't work for. Mm. So perhaps he's just one of them. Yeah. So back on the ship, 
uh, John is talking about how the aliens are nothing like the aliens in Steven Spielberg movies, and Aaron's like, I don't what? Shut up. Shut up. I don't get your references. Okay, so it's not just his references. He's like, John is like, close encounters my ass. And first of all, I just got a real E.T. vibe, so maybe Steven Spielberg was right? (laughs) But also, he goes on this monologue about like, okay, so I came through a wormhole, so I need to find another wormhole, or find a way to make a wormhole. And Aaron is just trying to get out of the cell, and she is like, oh my god, I do not want to hear your monologue right now. Shut up, shut up, shut up. And she yells at him. She's like, okay, you need to shut up because I'm trying to figure out how to get out of the cell. And then John is like, oh, really? Because I hit a fork up my sleeve. I think it's our first indication that maybe John is not going to be completely useless on this ship. Mm. I do sort of love his casual facial expression. (laughs) Yeah. He's... (laughs) He, like, actually, he actually taps the fork to the bridge of his nose. He's like, he's, he's very childlike about it, which is cute. Then we cut to the scene we came in on where she's all, I'm going to sabotage this ship because fuck these people. I'm part of the evil military. And he's all, no, don't. They seem nice enough, even though they keep throwing us in cells. And it really seems like you're on the wrong side of this conflict. I like that John initially was like, oh, she's the one who looks like a human. So clearly I should team up with her. And now he's like, oh, no, that was wrong. Also, I just, again, with the facial expressions, when... When he asks her if she's serious, does she know what, does she not know what compassion is? The look on her face is just like, what? What? It's amazing. Claudia Black's facial journey is amazing. So they hop in her ship. Her ship, her prowler. Mm-hmm. And they're heading to... To the planet that everyone else is on. Yes. And she's going to call, she's going to call her people from, she calls her people from the prowler to come to the planet, pick everyone up, arrest everyone, take her home, and I guess, I don't know, take John and drop him off at an intergalactic bus station or something. This is her plan right now because she does not know that John killed Crace's brother. Yes, so she's attempting to contact General Space Ponytail. Yes. So I really love this because on the planet, John is like, holy shit, I am on an alien planet. And just with everything that's going on, I feel like Ben Browder really sells that sense of wonder. Like, he is an explorer at heart, and he is so... And no matter what is going on around him, some part of him is excited to have made first contact. Not to keep going back to this, but it is really a Dorothy opening her door into Munchkin land. Yeah, it, it really is. It, it really is the we're not in Kansas anymore moment. So Xan and Space Wharf realize that there are peacekeepers here and they pull away Fish Guy from the best alien puppet ever uh, because they need to get the shell out of there. Yep. This and would work better if he was a crab and not a fish. That would work better. And Aaron and John on another part of the planet see the Leviathan shuttle take off and go back to the ship. So they know that the peacekeepers have been made. Aaron wants to go report that and, you know, get them caught. And again, John, still not with the program here, is like, wait, but they're not a danger to us. Just let them go. And Aaron's like, they're fucking prisoners, man. And as though on cue... Space Wharf comes up with his giant plastic-ass sword, and he's like, I'm gonna plastic-ass kill you! He calls John a traitor, and it's like, 
You captured his ship and threw him in a cell. He owes no loyalty to you, but go on, I guess. Oh, I, I actually, I actually do love the moment that comes up. Okay, okay. so, so Dargo has the sword drawn on John and Aaron, and he's like, he's like, I'm gonna kill you for calling the peacekeepers, and John looks up and sees like a whole horde of riot peacekeepers behind him, and is like, um, dude, and Dargo's like, I'm not falling for that, <laughs> even though there is like a whole military behind him God. who promptly grab him and. He, he gets a couple swings of his sword in, but mostly they just grab him and put him in custody. He also shoots his tongue out a few times, but they're all wearing armor, so... Yeah. He could have shot it at the guy who's not wearing armor, but... Eh. Yeah, he should have shot it at Crace, but I guess, whatever. Aaron goes over to stand next to Crace to, like... Demonstrate her loyalty? Yeah, she's like, this is the side I'm on. And Crace is like... This is the man who murdered my brother. I do like that Aaron tells Commander Spacebeard that he's John Crichton from the planet Earp. Oh, I like that she tells him, listen, I've been with this guy. He did not kill your brother. He is not that smart. She actually says that he's not that smart or that brave, which turns out to be a problem for Aaron because it turns out that... The peacekeepers have protocols about spending time with unknown aliens. And since Aaron has exceeded those parameters, she is now irreversibly contaminated. Ugh. Yeah, real fascist language there. So now Aaron is going to be taken in as a prisoner too. So, I mean, works out really well for the Farscape team that now they have an... That now they're going to have a peacekeeper on their, on their squad. Yeah, it's really shooting yourself in the foot there, guys. Yeah. It's, fascist guys. Yeah. I mean, good, right? We don't, we don't care if the fascists shoot themselves in the foot, but yeah, seriously. So did Blue Lady change dresses? It looks kind of like she's wearing a different outfit here. No, it's the same outfit. Hmm. It's very versatile. It's very Marge Simpson's Chanel. Uh... Yes, it is like Marge Simpson's Chanel outfit. Because it looked like a dress at first, and then it looked like yoga pants, and now it looks like this different dress. But it is the same dress. It is. And also, uh, we don't have a Fashion Corner segment for this TV show. Because like cartoon characters, these characters will wear the same outfits over and over again. Even though they are not military, so these are not uniforms. God. Yeah, I know, right? It's funny, they'll make a big deal about changing their outfit in an episode, and then they'll wear that outfit for the next two or three seasons. (laughs) Also, very significantly, for listeners who know, John will at one point change from a black shirt to a green shirt. Okay. Yes, this is, yeah. So, it turns out that, as we know, only Zan went back to the ship. That was to fool the peacekeepers. And she filled up the tanks, got it ready to take off, and Dargo is going to join them. Hopefully. Although, as we see on the planet... It looks like he's going to be a Dargoner. Oh, terrible, terrible. But luckily, John has his Chekhov's puzzle ring. I do love this. He's showing off, he starts showing off the puzzle ring to the guards, and the guards get super into it and start arguing about the proper way to solve it. Yeah. Like, it's a, it's a very cute, weirdly humanizing scene for the fascist murderer people. Yes. Well, and their argument over the correct way to put the puzzle ring back together allows John to grab one of their guns and start shooting. I like how he's not good at it at first. Like, he doesn't really know what to do, and then he kind of just fucks with it until it starts shooting light balls. Yeah, laser laser bolts. 
Uh, he demands that the guards get on the ground and throw him the key. <laughs> and he and Aaron and Dargo have a little comedic moment about who's going to unlock who first. So Dargo unlocks John and then John insists that they unlock Aaron because since the space fascists have disavowed her, she is now automatically on their team. So she has to come with them. Yeah. Good bard skill recruiting other people. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good barding. I do love how Aaron's like, I'm not going with him. He's a criminal. And, and John's like, you're a fucking criminal now. Aaron, for a second, isn't sure if she's going to join them or not. She's like, this is, I'm a peacekeeper. This is all I've known my entire life. And John says, you can be more. And, you know, she runs off with them. And they don't linger on that you can be more moment. Mm-hmm. But later on in the series, Aaron will talk about how essential that you can be more moment was to her. Huh. So I just wanted to draw attention to it now yeah exactly so they fly back into the main whale ship thing and uh everyone's pals now well everyone's not trying to kill each other now yes another thing i like about this show is that even though they are all on the same team as it were because you know they're all on the run together they're all criminals together it takes them a while to become pals Mm. yeah Dargo announces as he comes onto the bridge that Moya needs to set a course for the uncharted territories. Hmm. Yeah. And the main thing about the uncharted territories is that the peacekeepers don't have jurisdiction there. Ah. Although, as Aaron will point out in a couple of scenes, uh, Crace thinks John killed his brother, so do you think he's going to care about jurisdiction? (laughs) Maybe your brother shouldn't have been in the space army. His brother definitely shouldn't have been in the Space Army. There's actually a whole episode coming up about how his brother should not have been in the Space Army. So Moya's trying to get away from the Peacekeeper battlecruiser, and she can't get fast enough. Hey, wasn't John doing something about gaining speed in space earlier in the episode, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, there's actually a very tense scene where John takes a piece of chalk and draws out on the floor... The trajectory that he need that they need to hit to do the slingshot maneuver on the commerce planet. He says that he's going to need to do this manually since it needs to be very precise. So Moya pops out this, like, it looks like an arcade arm so that someone can drive the ship manually. And I, I just, as precise as John says it needs to be, I can't believe they get it as precise. Mm. But he, he gives Aaron instructions so that she can essentially do the slingshot maneuver. They do, and they escape. And they manage to escape. It's actually a great, it's actually a great slightly comedic moment where, where on the Peacekeeper ship, they realize that the ship is coming towards them because they're flying towards the planet very fast. And Chris is like, wait, what? And then, of course, it zooms away and... The peacekeepers lose track of them. They are off the scanners. Wah, wah. Yes. Sucks for Grace. Also, what? I guess you can have a beard if you're in the military. It's a space military. It is a space military, and he does have a space beard. It just, he looks like he should be in, like, a really crappy club. It's, yeah, I, I can see that. His whole look is, like, 
divorced dad in his mid-40s who's trying to get back in the dating scene so he grew a goatee and a crappy mustache and his hair's all slicked back with grease. Well, it, it doesn't help that he has a little rat tail that all of the peacekeepers have. He has a... It's a real Steven Seagal aesthetic. Oh my god, that is exactly what it is. Oh my goodness. So, everybody's happy about having escaped, and Zan, like, pushes her ear against John's ear, and does, like, some sort of priest sex zap to him. Oh my. To to show how happy she is that they escaped. Orgasm beam! It's, it's bizarre. It's a bizarre moment. And also, it's not what their sex looks like later. And then we have the little montage. John is talking into his tape recorder, leaving a message for his dad about this weird place he's discovered. And Dargo is sharpening his plastic sword and Zan is meditating naked because... Of course she is. Of course she is. He's a little tete-a-tete with Dargo. Yeah, Dargo, like kind of attacks him but it, it's, it's a real like guy trying to figure out who's jostling for position on this ship and he also tells john you know he was a prisoner for eight years and he's not going to be a prisoner again so john better not fuck it up for them wait so he started being a prisoner when he was 11 I, oh wait years don't translate into cycles yeah so then dargo storms off and aaron having witnessed all this is like Told you, Luxons are fucking psychopaths. You shouldn't you shouldn't be near him. I do love that when Dargo attacked John, John just kind of shoved him and Dargo was like, Ah, oh, you have a warrior's instinct and it's like he, you, he That's sh- literally what every single person would do. Yeah, you jumped out at him and he shoved you. Aaron is almost trying to make John feel bad about having turned down the peacekeepers and John's like, Were you not there? crazy immediately tried to kill me yeah like he was gonna kill you too jesus christ get off your weird space fascist high horse really because she's all they're a violent nasty race those whatever the hell darko is luxons and he's like yeah you you're really pot calling the kettle black here yeah aaron then tells him that he needs to be sure to choose his alliances carefully and I just want to highlight that the thing John does immediately after she says, choose your alliances carefully, is go and fix the DRD that got broken at the beginning when his ship was brought onto Moya. Yeah, smart. Make your alliance with the thing you're literally living inside. <laughs> right? So, it, and it's it's very cute. He Because the DRDs, I, I can't stress enough how much they act like little dogs. Mm-hmm. And so when he goes and he fixes it and it's just... It comes across as a real kindness, as a real soulful thing for John to do. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. This is is his save the cat moment. Yes. To speak in... uh, Screenwriting terms. Yes. So he fixes the little droid thing and it wanders off. And then the fish guy comes up and he's like, Hey, uh, I'm here to take your stuff and, you know sell it for money that i can use to buy things for me and john's like no yeah john's like um it's my stuff and rigel says how deeply do you sleep <laughs> god yeah i mean i play a rogue but rogues can be fucking annoying so we go back to his narration when he's talking to his dad and he's like look there's a whole bunch of weird aliens and i'm gonna put my dick in all of them you know john actually puts his dick in relatively few aliens Hmm. Not really taking advantage of this situation. He's he's very unkirk like in that manner. 
he repeats his dad's stupid oh. folksism. Oh, I've got rattlers in my tummy. Yeah, yeah, but that's the that's the end. That's the last thing he says before we uh, we close off with a shot of Moya in front of the star that she is flying past, which mirrors the shot that this episode opened with with the sunset next to the space shuttle. Yeah. So it's it's very it's very nicely done. It is nice energy. So that was enjoyable. I like that. I'm I'm still not entirely sold on it. I'm not a huge sci-fi person and like this is seems to be a really well done deconstruction of a lot of sci-fi stuff, but I mean despite my fandom for Futurama and Galaxy Quest. I'm not really big on non-comedic sci-fi things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just uh, th- this show becomes about a lot of human drama, and I am I am really excited for you to get invested in the people on this show. I I say hum- alien. Yes, I, human I, I, I get it. Drama. Okay. I believe we had some segments. We do have some segments. So our first segment is some distant part of the universe. And that's what was the moment on this show that made you connect to the world building that they were doing? Like, what was your favorite piece of world building? Honestly, it was probably John's I don't think I'm in Kansas anymore scene. The bit where he enters the alien marketplace and it just sort of dawns on him how big and alien the universe is. That was mine, too. Oh, well... Yeah, I mean, that was a great moment. Yeah. So, <laughs> And that makes sense because that is his, as you said at the at the time, that is his... Role. No, that is his role, yes. But no, I was going to say that's that's the um, walking into Munchkin Land moment. Yeah. So it makes sense that that would be the best world-building moment. So the second one is strange alien creatures which is what was the best puppet in this episode okay clearly the thing that had three mouths and like so many teeth that was so well designed and god i would i i wish that was more of a part of the show that was such a cool puppet that is a great puppet it's true i do have to say though since i feel like this is the only episode we can really talk about it Mm -hmm. that i just want to talk about what an amazing puppet pilot is Um, We don't get to see too much of him in this episode. We'll get to see more of him. I think the next time we get to really see him up close and personal is DNA Mad Scientist. But he basically, his head is built so that he kind of looks like a mushroom. Yeah. Because he grows into the ship. So he is kind of like a fungus on the ship. And he has like a bunch of different crab arms that he uses to manipulate all of the buttons and gears on the ship and you can't tell in this episode because in this episode we only saw pilot in the clam hologram or just shots of him alone so you couldn't tell but the puppet is gigantic and it's awesome so i'm very excited for you to get to see more of pilot all right and the last segment uh the last segment was i'm just looking for a way home which was what was your favorite part of this episode Oh, gosh. I feel like there's some overlap because I think my favorite part... Actually, my favorite part of the episode was probably uh, Aaron and John's interactions when they were breaking out of the cell, uh, which I believe is the clip we opened with reenacting-wise. It is the clip that we reenacted at the beginning. It's true. Yes. So far, I'm 
mostly invested in the... I don't know if this is going to carry through to the rest of the show, but I think I'm mostly invested in the female characters and John, because God, do I not care about space war for fish, dude. Dargo or Rigel. Xan is cool. Aaron is cool. John is cool. But the other two are... I think you're also going to really love Chiana when we meet her. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I let, uh, Zan, From the few episodes we saw, I know Zan is probably my favorite character on the show, but she didn't really get to do a ton in the pilot. I'm, you know, I never really cared for Zan, so I am really interested to see how this evolves as we watch more and more of the show. All right. Uh, my favorite moment was also an Aaron moment, but it was Aaron's just total cool, I'm not phased a bit parts when they were at the, when they were being fed. Hmm. So, our next episode is IET. Mm-hmm. So, if you're following along and you're watching episodes in the order they aired, that's going to be the seventh episode, but we are not doing them in the order they aired. We're doing them in production order. So, the next episode is IET. How much did Firefly steal from this show? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Because also aired completely out of order, thus ruining the flow of the first season. It really does. Especially to have this episode come seven episodes in is terrible because it really is an episode about John getting his feet under him. And that's, you're like, seven episodes in? You don't know what's going on yet? So the description of this episode is, After a peacekeeper beacon goes off, Moya has to land on an alien planet to prevent its signal from being intercepted and Moya being discovered. Crichton, Dargo, and Aaron explore the planet in search of a substance that can numb Moya's senses. Mm. So I believe that will about do it for this week. That will do it for this week. Welcome to the Uncharted Territories is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you could head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.com, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan... Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or any episode of any television show, you can join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. Uh, we can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Mm-hmm.